Computer, initialize Holosuite. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the sci-fi feminist podcast i hope everyone has been keeping well and enjoying the holiday spirit at this time of the year um yes at the moment in south africa the COVID 19 situation is quite severe but um we are all moving forward i am mostly staying in the house and um yeah bringing new content and new episodes to you so um yes i hope you enjoy this holiday listening as usual i would like to thank my patreon supporters thank you especially ashley ariel for your continued support of the podcast and um if you would like to receive a shout out on the show then hit me up on patreon and i'll give you a nice little shout out um i'm also selling some of my drawings and artworks that i put on t-shirts uh so head over to redbubble tea public and tea spring um, for some really beautiful uh, merch. Uh, hopefully I can get my hands on some of that merch soon and I can show you what it looks like on Instagram. Um, yes, so today I am going to do an episode on a topic that I should have covered ages and ages ago. Um, yeah, this is such a seminal part of science fiction. And um, yes, I'm sorry that I'm only getting to this now. I, I think I've been too obsessed with Star Trek. Um, but today I'm going to do an episode on Star Wars. Um, I'm not one of those people that are always like either Star Trek or Star Wars. I really enjoy both. Um, I think just because of my research, I've been leaning more towards Star Trek. And that's why I've been bringing you more Star Trek episodes. But today I'm dedicating only to Star Wars. I'm doing this especially because uh, recently in Star Wars, as you know, um, the last three Star Wars movies, we actually have a female protagonist. And Star Wars actually has a legacy of quite interesting um, both empowered and disempowered female characters and some female characters who were disempowered but then became empowered later on. So today I'm especially going to talk a little bit about Princess Leia. I'm also going to talk about Rey, of course, and um, some women in The Mandalorian too. Um, yes, I think there's quite a lot to chat about in terms of Star Wars and um, especially... Well, uh, my research on fourth wave feminism, um, we can do a very interesting fourth wave feminist analysis, especially of Ray. So I'm going to touch on that a little bit today, too. So, yes, as usual, I hope that you really enjoy this episode. And um, yes, thank you for always supporting this podcast and for your continued support. Um, I hope that you find this episode interesting, as I do. All right, so let's then get into a discussion of Star Wars. Um, now, when was I first introduced to Star Wars? Actually, I think as a teenager, um, I had a hard drive full of movies um, that I got from someone. I can't even remember <laughs> from where or from who. Um, and then the Star Wars, the first six Star Wars movies were on there. Um, so it was one holiday in high school, I can't remember exactly when, and I decided to give Star Wars a go. So I started with, 
yeah, the first one. <laughs> I didn't watch them in chronological order. I watched them in the order of release. And um, yeah, so I went through all six Star Wars movies and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm really glad I watched it. And then, um, yeah, interestingly, when I actually started my, my PhD and my master's research on female action heroes in film and especially in science fiction um they started with the new uh star wars trilogy the the last three star wars movies that has ray as the main protagonist now i went into the cinema not actually knowing that there is going to be a female protagonist um in the story so when we were first introduced to ray i was like what this is um you know very different from the other star wars movies i i saw before and um, I know there are many mixed opinions about Star Wars and especially the the latest three um yeah, the latest three Star Wars movies. To be honest, I definitely uh the last one I didn't enjoy quite that much. Um I was not a big fan of the last one. The second one in the trilogy was my favorite. I think because we see the most powerful women in there, the most amount of powerful women in there, and of course some of them are quite a bit older too, which I will touch on. Um and yeah, the first one I liked because it was new and fresh, while it also managed to keep that Star Wars feel. Now, I know maybe that's a controversial opinion. I don't know. Um, I didn't read too much about fan responses to it, only to the third one, because I was also a fan that didn't like it too much. Um, yeah, but, but that is my journey with Star Wars. So it is not quite as, uh, how can I say, deeply rooted as my journey with Star Trek. But anyway, I am quite a big fan. Um, Yes. Okay. So first, let's talk about the legacy of women in Star Wars. So I think, um, yeah, the first time, <laughs> it is quite a funny story. I went to uh, Comic-Con. It wasn't Comic-Con. Um, it was like Comic-Con, the South African version of it. It was called Rage. I don't know if they still do Rage um, after COVID, but it was basically a gaming expo and there people would actually um, cosplay as well. And as you know, I'm quite an avid cosplayer myself, um, but that time I, I didn't cosplay. I think I was 17 years old or so before I really got into it. And um, there I took a picture with... Uh, someone that cosplay as cosplayed as Slave Leia. Um, I'm sure everyone is quite familiar with Princess Leia's slave outfit. So I can't even remember in which Star Wars it was. I'm sorry, there are so many and I get confused with the names because all of the names sound the same. Um, but yeah, she is um, next to this ugly monster thing. I believe it's Jabba the Hutt. I can't remember. Um, sorry, I've, I haven't watched this in a while. And she's sitting there and she is a slave and she wears this bikini, which has kind of become an infamous, um, yeah, uh, thing in, I think, um, geek culture is, you know, Princess Leia's slave bikini. Um, now I'm not referring to geek, geek culture in a derogatory way. Um, I'm referring to it in its like official, uh, definition <laughs> or capacity. Um, yeah, she, it become, became kind of a, a, a cult image, you know, this, this image of Princess Leia in her slave bikini. And, um, my one friend, Yunette, who was on the show the other day, um, uh, she told me that, yeah, her brother, um, or was it her brother that told me that, yeah, you know, this is the every man's fantasy, you know, Princess Leia in this, um, slave bikini. So, 
yeah, when I actually saw that in Star Wars, um, yeah, it kind of falls into the the dominant types of representations that we saw of women during those times. So I believe it was released um, between the 60s and the 80s, uh, the older Star Wars movies. And um, during that time, we often saw these types of representations of women. Um, I think it was only a bit later when we started seeing criticism of these types of representations. For example, Laura Mulvey's paper on um, narrative and pleasure in visual cinema. What's it called? Visual pleasures in narrative cinema. That is the word. Visual pleasures in narrative cinema, where she critiqued these kinds of images. And she said, actually, you know, this really perpetuates the male gaze, the woman as object. Um, and then after that, we start seeing uh, more tougher and more androgynous heroines like Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor. Um, but this very passive portrayal of women um, was a dominant trope in the 60s, the 70s and the 80s. Um, yes, Princess Leia in her slave bikini being one of them. And also there was an interesting heroine called Barbarella. Um, I think I might have talked about her a little bit in the past. Actually, I, I couldn't sit through the whole Barbarella movie. That's why I haven't done an episode on her yet. Um, but yeah, let me then make that today's movie recommendation is Barbarella. Um, it's the strangest movie. It's a sci-fi movie and it's Jane Fonda. And she is this intergalactic heroine. Um, but there is a lot of emphasis placed on her sexuality, on her body. Her outfits are quite revealing. And um, I would say that her representation falls into this, um, the same types of representation we see in the likes of Princess Leia in her um, slave outfit. Now, um, what's interesting about Princess Leia is that she actually changes over time. Um, in the last three Star Trek, Star Wars movies, sorry, I'm going to keep getting confused between Star Wars and Star Trek, but in the last three, she's, of course, a general. And, um, of course, she's much older Um Maybe it would be a bit strange to put her into a slave outfit bikini like that. But I would also argue that, um, you know, because of the types of criticisms that I also do in this podcast, um, we saw that the representation of women changed quite a bit in terms of these. Um, so we have Princess Leia, who was very sexualized and obviously damsel in distress, you know, the slave... Um, you know, being taken as a slave and having to be rescued by Luke Skywalker and um, to a character who is desexualized and who is actually the leader of the rebellion army. Um, so that's an interesting transformation that we see. And I think because Star Wars has existed for so long, um, like Star Trek 2, um, we can clearly map women's the change in women's representation in terms of the times. Um, at each time, we see different representations that kind of follow the zeitgeist. Um, the zeitgeist, zeitgeist is a word that kind of refers to the signs of the times, you know, the, the general atmosphere of the times that we are living in. Um, 
yeah, like I said, in the 70s, the 80s, second wave feminism became quite uh, prolific. And a lot of second wave feminist critique was about women's representation in cinema, especially. Um, so I would argue that is why we see people like uh, Princess Leia, why we see her representation change a little bit. Um, yes, yeah, so that is it regarding Leia. Let me get into Rey, which is, um, she's a bit more complex in terms of her representation. Um, or maybe before I talk about Rey, let me first talk about some of the other women in Star, Star Wars. Um, especially the, there is a character in the second one in the new trilogy. She's called Admiral Emmeline Holdo. I believe is her name. Um, she's the older woman and uh, she wears that purple outfit. <laughs> I just remember the purple. And um, I remember after the release of that movie, I think I actually saw that one twice in the cinema because I loved it so much. Um, I read an article. It said, uh, women rule the galaxy uh, or women rule the world in a galaxy far, far away. Um, because especially the second one in the new Star Wars trilogy, um, we see a lot of powerful women feature. And interestingly, a lot of older women. Um, like I mentioned, we see a much older Leia, who is now the general of the army. And we also have this, um, this admiral, who kind of throughout, um, I know there was some backlash because she keeps like talking down to the male pilot, um, you know, saying things like he's reckless. She needs to, he needs to listen to her, those types of things. So I know some men weren't very happy with that. Um, but I think what is very interesting is that first of all, we have older women who are in power and, this is a trend that I have referred to in many other podcast episodes. The idea of going back to, um, how can I say, second wave feminist mothers, um, or like the previous generation of feminists and, um, drawing strength from them. Um, like I also mentioned before, Current feminist theory, what I've now identified as fourth wave feminist theory, or not only me, but many people, I argue that it's fourth wave feminist theory, it draws a lot on second wave feminism and second wave feminist theory. For me, it's then interesting that we see women who I would say metaphorically represent the second wave of feminism, um, older women who are very much in line with second wave feminist ideals of empowerment, which includes things like androgyny, um, you know, not being sexualized, um, which includes things like women and men being equal um, in terms of everything. Um, the only thing that makes them different, they argued, is basic biological functions. But the second wave feminists argued that in terms of everything else, men and women should be equal. And that is kind of what we see, especially regarding the older women um, in the, the Star Wars trilogy, the new Star Wars trilogy. Um, for example, Leia as a general, you know, second wave feminists would argue that not only men can be generals of armies, uh, women can do exactly the same job as men um, because of gender equality, because the sexes are both equal. Um, so we see this Admiral uh, Holdo, I think that's her name. Uh, she also embodies these ideals of second wave feminism. And um, 
I think why I like her very much is because of her character arc. Um, she starts off as a character that's a little bit unlikable. I have to confess that even I didn't like her at first. Um, and I thought, oh, she's rude and why is she taking over for Leia? You know, this shouldn't be happening. You know, I want Leia. <laughs> and then at the end, she makes the ultimate sacrifice. And I think it's the coolest thing. She basically turns around the ship and then flies into the other ship at, um, what do they say in Star Wars? In Star Trek, it would be warp speed. I think in Star Wars, they say light speed. I forgot. Um, she literally like warps into the other ship and her ship is destroyed. She sacrifices herself for the new generation to continue on. And, um, yeah, when that happened, I just thought, what a wonderful female character and how strong and tenacious, how tough. Um, it reminded me very much of a Star Trek Voyager episode. It's called Year of Hell, uh, one of my favorite Voyager two-parters, where Captain Janeway does a similar thing. Um, Captain Janeway takes Voyager and she literally flies into the time ship and she destroys Voyager and the time ship, but then by doing that also resets the timeline and so saves everyone. Um, I see lots of similarities between those characters, uh, Captain Janeway, Ellen Ripley, and Sarah Connor, that I've argued in previous episodes are called second wave power women. Um, you know, the ideals of second wave feminism are embodied by these women, and we kind of see them returning in Star Wars in the form of these older, um, powerful and tough women. So, yes, that's one character I wanted to flag and point out that I thought was very interesting and that I really loved. And, um, yeah, as I'm talking about it, I also feel like re-watching it again. Uh, there's another another thing on my <laughs> holiday watching list, another one to add there. Um, all right, so then let's move on to Ray. Now, if we look at Ray, I would argue that she embodies the ideal fourth wave feminist version of femininity. Now, what is fourth wave feminist empowerment? Now, I have talked about this in an episode on the new version of Laura Croft. Um, you can find it in the previous episodes. I forgot the episode number. Um, but if you are a an avid video game player, you will find, um, and you've played the new Tomb Raider games, um, if you listen to this episode and the previous one, and if you've played the new Tomb Raider games, you will see what I mean by fourth wave feminist heroism. Um, I would argue that the new version of Lara Croft and Rey in Star Wars, they are very similar types of characters in terms of the type of female empowerment that they put forward. Um, yes, so what is fourth wave feminism? Well, um, to recap a little bit before talking about Rey, Fourth wave feminism is the, yeah, a new wave of feminism that seemingly started coming about here towards the end of the first decade of the 21st century. So around the end of, um, yeah, around 2008, it started surfacing more towards 2010, 2011, and now in 2021, um, it is almost generally accepted as a thing, um, that there is a fourth wave of feminism. Um, you know, in academia, they always argue, oh no, there is a fourth wave, there isn't, um, it doesn't exist. Um, 
But some theorists believe there is a fourth wave, and I am one of them. And some believe that, no, we are still in the third wave of feminism. Um, I would argue that, you know, one wave doesn't need to end for the next one to begin. Um, in second wave and third wave feminism, too, we saw a lot of overlaps um, in terms of those. And you could still say that there are some that ascribe to second wave feminist ideals in the current time period, too, where we are supposedly in the fourth wave of feminism. Um, it all gets a bit muddled up. But anyway, I believe there is a fourth wave of feminism. And I believe that many of these contemporary uh, science fiction heroines that we see, um, some of the women in Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, would definitely fall into this too. Um, I've done an episode arguing that Michael Burnham from Star Trek Discovery also falls in this um area of heroism and also Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, she would also be a fourth wave action heroine and also from the new Terminator movie, Grace. Um, you could also say the same about the rebooted version of Seven of Nine in Star Trek Picard. They are everywhere. There are countless of them. Also Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. Um, if you watch all of these things, you will see that the type of female hero that we see is very um, similar. Um, they all have the same type of characteristics. Now, what are these characteristics? Well, uh, first of all, we see androgyny and desexualization. So when we look at Rey, we see that in stark contrast to some earlier representations of Princess Leia in her slave bikini, um, Rey, Rey's body is always fully covered. And um, she is 90% of the young, the 90% uh, of the time, these fourth wave um, feminist action heroines, they're also young. Um, if you look at Katniss Everdeen, the new version of Laura Croft, even Furiosa, they're all relatively young, we would say in their 20s. So Ray is young. Uh, she is desexualized. Um, she is also, um, yeah, not only in terms of her clothing, but also in terms of her body figure. We do not see clothing that emphasizes her bodily figure. Um, her clothing, even though it is tight, um, her figure is also a bit more boyish and tomboyish. Um, we see many fourth wave heroines that fall more on the androgynous side, uh, the tomboyish side, than being overtly feminine. Um, yes, if we look at the new version of Laura Croft too, uh, if you've watched the 2018 Tomb Raider movie, um, people were joking, they were calling it Tom Brader because... Um, Alicia Vikander is so buff and so ripped in that movie and um, her breasts are quite small. So even though she wears a tank top, um, it's not uh, sexy in the traditional sense of, you know, big breasts, thin waist, wide hips, you know, that typical Western ideal of beauty. Um, so following these heroines representation, we could also argue that I think ideals of beauty are also changing. Um, in the fourth wave of feminism. So, yes, um, like you would see here, we also see some similarities with second wave feminism here. Um, a lot of the second wave feminist power women or some of the action heroines that came out during the second wave, like Ellen Ripley, um, they also wear clothing that is rather androgynous and clothing that does not place emphasis on their bodies, uh, which is, um, yeah, quite interesting. We 
yeah, I would argue that the fourth wave might be a sort of a reincarnation of the second wave. And these fourth wave heroines also is sort of a reincarnation of the second wave heroines like Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor and Captain Catherine Janeway. All right. So then um, the next thing about Ray, which is very interesting, is that she very successfully blends masculinity and femininity. Um, now, when we look at her personality, um, she is not overly boyish. Um, when we look at Sarah Connor, if you've watched Terminator, for example, um, yes, she tends to be very harsh, uh, not very feminine in the traditional sense, but more masculine in terms of her personality. Um, there are some instances where Sarah Connor is a little bit more feminine um, in terms of her personality. And I I refer to femininity here as traditional femininity. You know, um, these are established ideas of what it means to be feminine. Um, but when we look at Ray, sometimes she is kind, soft, she's emotional. Um, and sometimes she's very masculine in terms of her character, very determined. She is able to handle herself in any sort of physical situation too. She's quite inventive, sometimes a little bit reckless. All of these very traditional um, masculine uh, characteristics. And I would argue about fourth wave heroines that they very successfully combine and switch between masculinity and femininity. Uh, we do not have a character like um, the old version of Laura Croft, who is very masculine in terms of her character, you know, only shooting and killing and, um, yeah, I wouldn't say <laughs> saying cliche things is a masculine character, but, um, you know, not realistic in t at all in terms of what a woman actually is like. Um, she has this very masculine character with this very feminine body. If you're aware of the old version of Laura Croft, um, that we saw like in, you know, in 1996, when the game first came out, you can Google it. Um, we see a character who has huge breasts, a very thin waist and a huge butt, um, while being very masculine in terms of her, her personality. So feminine body, masculine personality. What we see in new heroines like Rey is actually a body that is a bit tomboyish, um, not very feminine, but not overly masculine, um, while also seeing a personality that really fluctuates very easily between masculinity and femininity. And um, I would definitely argue that this is a much more realistic and I would also say attainable version of femininity or female empowerment. Um, yes, what I also found interesting about Ray, and this was a little bit of a letdown for me personally, um, but I think this is something we see in, in some fourth wave action heroines is that they allow themselves romance, um, but without being, uh, how can I say, without the male character being their sole marker of identity. Um, if we look at Michael Burnham from Star Trek Discovery, she also has a romantic relationship, but that is not the thing that defines her as a woman. Um, it is kind of on the side, and both of them keep their own separate identities. Um, if we look at Katniss Everdeen too, 
Um, she has this, yeah, long, well, she has a few romantic relationships, but it is never to the point where it detracts from her heroism. Um, personally, I would have preferred if Ray stayed alone, and I think it was a little bit strange when at the end she and Kylo Ren, um, they had some romantic feelings for each other, uh, I don't know. I was very confused by the third one in the trilogy, to be very honest. Um, but anyway, um, that kiss and their seemingly romantic relationship, it doesn't seem for me personally to detract from her status as a hero. Um, and maybe some people would argue differently, but I wouldn't say Kylo Ren is her entire identity. Like, uh, you know, everything she does is dependent on him. Um, it's just kind of a, a relationship that developed, maybe because of their, their deep, um, deep connection to each other. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, I was a little bit disappointed <laughs> when Ray and Kylo Ren suddenly hooked up <laughs> in the third one. But yeah, I would I would say the third one is not the finest moment in the Star Trek in all the Star Trek movies, the the third one in the the new trilogy. Um yes, so that is it in terms of Rey. Uh there are some other things too that she has in common with other fourth wave heroines heroines um the idea that she doesn't have any parents and um, that she's always looking for her parents. Um, we see in many fourth wave heroines, especially their relationship with their mother is emphasized. Um, now, to be very honest with you, I haven't watched the Star Wars movies in, yeah, recently enough to actually remember if Rey's mother plays a very significant role in her life. Um, but definitely the search for her parents is a big dilemma for her. And um, I would say this also feeds into um, a trope of what we see in um, recent fourth wave heroines. Um, what is also interesting about Ray is that she usually works together with other characters and especially male characters. Um, we've seen this in some representations of other fourth wave heroines too, is that they are not these lone warriors. They are not these people that work alone, but they are many times actually paired up with a male character, not in a romantic way, but in a way where they help and support each other. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road is a very good example of a male and a female character who work together, but who do not actually um, go into any sort of a romantic relationship. We see this in the new Tomb Raider games as well, um, Lara and Jonah working together for their common purpose. And then, of course, in Star Wars, we have Rey and Finn, the ex-stormtrooper, who often work together. Um, yeah, these new heroines, they, they tend to, um, yeah, exist in groups of people, um, rely on other characters too, to achieve their ends. Um, they're not these lone warriors that, um, don't have anything to do with anyone, especially other men. Um, but they actually have male friends and they have male friends that are allowed to be simply friends and not romantic interests. I think that's a very important departure, um, from representations of women. You know, we, usually when there is another male character, they end up becoming a romantic interest. And, um, this is definitely not the case for, um, for Ray, um, except for Kylo Ren, but that's a whole, 
<laughs> Very complicated story on its own. Yeah, so those are some of the um, the characteristics of fourth wave feminist action heroines. And um, yeah, as you can see, Ray is a very good example of a fourth wave feminist action heroine. If you want to know what a fourth wave feminist action heroine is, then just watch the last three Star Wars movies and you will know exactly <laughs> what she is and um, what it entails. Yes, so, um, wow, this episode really went quickly. I can't believe it's already been 31 minutes. Um, yes, but that is my very short take on Star Wars and on Rey. I hope to see, yeah, I said I'm, I was, I would talk about the Mandalorian, but there hasn't really been time. Um, maybe let me quickly mention that, um, some strong female characters in the Mandalorian too, and we also see the female characters in Mandalorian, they are very often not sexualized either. Um, one of the Mandalorian's, um, her biggest, um, yeah, uh, well, assisting characters is that very tough woman. And um, in terms of her body bodily shape, she's also a little bit bigger, um, which is also a trend we're seeing. Um, it's very refreshing not to only see these skinny and beautiful and ideal looking types of heroines, but also other types of femininities that are um, have different body types that are a little bit more masculine, that are a bit tougher. Um, she's a very good fighter. Um, that woman. I know there was some controversy with the actress, so I'm, I'm not sure if she's going to be in the new season of The Mandalorian, but um, yes, um, some powerful women in there too, and we can also argue about them, that they definitely also could possibly fit this fourth-wave feminist action heroine archetype, um, definitely in some some parts of their representation um yeah so i hope after this episode uh if you look at movies and series you will see how the heroines have actually changed you will pick up this trend that i was able to pick up and um yeah identify even more aspects of this fourth wave feminist action heroine um this was the topic of my phd research and i spent three chapters you know identifying all the characteristics of the fourth wave feminist action heroine but um popular culture changes so fast and um I think as time goes by and this becomes like the, the standard way of representing women, there definitely might be more characteristics of these types of heroines that will come to the surface that will be very interesting um, in terms of feminism too. Fourth wave feminism is now really only starting to become more developed and more widely theorized. So um, yeah, I guess I'm looking forward to seeing, especially in Star Wars, how the women are going to transform and how we are going to keep seeing more and more um, interesting female characters in the franchise. Yes, so that is it for today's episode. Thank you once again for listening. Um, yes, I have a YouTube channel and... Uh, I make t-shirts and all those things. So go check it out. Go check out Instagram. And um, I hope you're having a very wonderful holiday season and a holiday time. Yes, see everyone again in the new year. And um, thank you for supporting the podcast this year. It was really a pleasure and such a joy uh, to be able to do this every week. So thank you for listening. This is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off. Live long and prosper. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4. The Fluffernutter.
and let's petition force podcast one of the best parts of the book is when joe introduces skippy once they hit orbit <laughs> <laughs> he changes his skin to was it bud light and <laughs> says absolutely nothing <laughs> that, that was that was hysterical that was absolutely hysterical and why and why did he choose bud light oh Joe asks this question. It's just like, how does he know so much about Earth culture? Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, (laughs) which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, Mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like, about, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.